Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the, Old, to the New Testament book of Hebrews. To the New Testament book of Hebrews and the book of Hebrews in chapter number 9. The book of Hebrews and chapter number 9. We're continuing through the book of Hebrews and we are now on our last several messages. I think if I remember right, about nine more left. Could be more or less, but I'm going off the top of my head. But we're on our downhill slide. We're almost finishing up. We'll be wrapping up in the next couple of weeks. And we're thankful for the Lord for how he's been teaching us more about the Lord Jesus Christ through the book of Hebrews. And that's the whole purpose of the book of Hebrews, is to teach us who Jesus Christ is and to point that the whole Old Testament was pointed to Christ in the first place. That he was the one that was pictured and prophesied. And that he was the promised one that God had given from the very beginning. That Jesus Christ is the answer. And so notice with me, if you don't mind, to the book of Hebrews chapter number 9. The book of Hebrews chapter number 9. And let's start in verse number 12. The book of Hebrews chapter number 9, starting at verse number 12. Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he had entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. For of the blood of bulls and of goats and of the ashes of the heifer, sprinkling the unclean, sanctifieth to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the internal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? And for this cause he is the mediator of the New Testament. That by means of death, for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the first testament, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. For where a testament is, there, all, there must also of necessity be the death of the tester. For the testament is a force after men are dead, otherwise it had... It is of no strength at all while the tester, uh, tester liveth. Wherefore, neither the first testament was dedicated without blood. For when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and of goats with water and scarlet wool and of hyssop and sprinkled both the book and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the testament which God hath enjoined unto you. Moreover, he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry. And almost all things are by the law purged with blood, and without shedding of blood is no remission. It 
was therefore necessary that the patterns of the things in the heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with a better, with better sacrifices than these. For Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Nor yet that he should offer himself often, as the high priest entered into the holy place every year with the blood of others. For then he must have often been suffered since the foundation of the world. But now once in the end of the world hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. As it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. And as we go through here, we could see over and over the key word in this passage. But notice with me in verse number 12, if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, mark this, the one word phrase, the blood, or the two words, the definite article and then the noun, the blood the blood. And with the Lord's help, we're going to explore this passage and see the emphasis that God is placing here on the blood. The blood. If you don't mind, let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for the great privilege it is to be in your house, to be able to open up your precious word, to learn more about you and the sacrifice that you made for us. We understand that you've placed a great emphasis here on the blood. And Lord, I'm asking that you would open up your Bible and that you would help us to be able to explain and communicate this well. Again, I don't have the ability, Lord. Some of these things are too far from me to be able to explain them. These things are so wonderful for us. But we could trust your Holy Spirit to work within me. So the best I know how I surrender myself to you and ask that you would do the work, that you would do the explaining, that you would put it in order, that you would plug it together, that you would tie it in a knot, that you would show us more about what you're trying to teach, the emphasis, that we could apply it to ourselves and see how it's important to us and how it should affect us even as Christians today. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, as we approach this, we have to get some context of what is happening. And so the first thing I'd like to show you is the Bible gives us a reminder here is the blood and the Old Testament, the blood and the Old Testament. Notice with me as we jump in in the middle of the passage in verse number 15, the blood in the Old Testament. Notice in verse 15, and for this cause, he is the mediator of the New Testament. So because of what Jesus Christ has done, he's the mediator. A mediator is someone who goes between the two parties. That, G that God required for the wages of sin is death. And that man could not uh, fulfill that payment. And so Jesus was the mediator. He paid the price and brought both, two, uh, both parties back together for reconciliation. Brought them together. He was the one who brought this... Uh, party together. For this cause, he is the mediator of the New Testament, that by the means of death, for the redemption of the transgression that was under the first testament, they are they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance, which this is just repeating what I just said. 
that God required for the wages of sin is death. But Jesus paid that price. And now that it is paid, we now have the word redemption. That means to buy back. And Jesus purchased us with his blood. He satisfied the payment that God had with his blood. Then he purchased us with his blood. And what we have to do is receive the promise of of eternal inheritance. God has done the work, or Jesus has done the work. He has satisfied God. That is a big fancy word used in the Bible, propitiation, that God is no longer angry with us. Jesus Christ was our substitutionary atonement. He died in our place. He paid the price. For us, he was our redemption. He purchased our price. He paid our price for us. He purchased us with his blood. All that is left is for both parties to agree and come together in reconciliation. This is what Jesus Christ did. He satisfied that payment. He allowed us now to receive that promise. He is the mediator of this New Testament. He provided uh, redemption. He paid that price for us. Notice with me in verse 16. For where a testament is, there must also of necessity be the death of the tester. Now, this would carry the idea of reading a will. So if you are going to read the will of someone, then it's also implied that they died, right? You don't want to read someone's will and start distributing all the stuff before they died. And so here, Jesus said, I'm going to pay the price for you. And I'm going to make it so this gift is available to everyone. But before they could receive the gift of this testament, he had to die. It's just using this language of placing it that Jesus had to die in order to give us salvation. Verse 17. For a testament is of a force after men are dead. Otherwise, it is of no strength at all while the tester, tester liveth. Again, it's using a language trying to understand. So let's say that uh, Aunt Susie's not dead yet, but she goes, let's read the will. And so... Aunt Susie's will says, I'm going to divide out my entire inheritance. You get the car, you get the house, you get the money, and let's go ahead and give it now. Well, the problem is if Aunt Susie's still alive, doesn't she need some of these things? And so it's going to be uncomfortable to say, hey, I know I gave the house, but you know what? I'm not dead yet, so I'm going to go ahead and live in it. Or, you know, you understand for practical purposes, you can't do the testament while it's alive. Again, it's trying to place an emphasis here dealing with Jesus Christ that Jesus Christ had to die in order to make these things available for us. Verse number 18. Whereupon neither the first testament was dedicated without blood. For when Moses had spoken every precept unto all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and of goats with water and scarlet wood and hyssop and sprinkled both the book and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the testament which God hath enjoined unto you. Moreover, he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and the vessels of the ministry. Now, this is making emphasis of the Old Testament. That even in the Old Testament economy, the blood was present and it was emphasized with blood. Now, the book of Hebrews has its corresponding book. The corresponding book to the book of Hebrews is the book of Leviticus. The book of Leviticus is necessary for us to get 
the book of Hebrews and to open it up. It is the direct commentary on the book of Hebrew or uh, the book of Leviticus. So Hebrews and Leviticus are companion books. You almost need to read them together to understand them together, to study them together, because one leads into the other one. One is the foundation. One is what is built upon. And with this, we could see all throughout the book of Leviticus, here is this principle that you could see that God had ordered Moses to give blood. For example, right after God gave the law, he gave the promises to uh, build the tabernacle. So they went and built the tabernacle. And on the day to dedicate the tabernacle, there was a lot of ceremony using the blood. As you go through the book of Leviticus, uh, as a um, quick little survey, we're not going to turn there. In chapter 1, we see the example of laying hands on the sacrifice that was given. The idea that something had to pay for the price. That was pictured in the book of Leviticus in chapter 1. In uh, chapter 4, there are instructions of what to do with the sacrifices in Leviticus chapter 4. And chapter 8, Moses is actually dedicating the priest with the blood to consecrate them for God's service. So those are some examples that are found in the book of Leviticus. In the commentary that's happened here, what's happening is uh, they built the tabernacle. Now as they dedicate it, they killed... um, killed an animal, and then Moses sprinkles the blood upon it to show that it's dedicated. When the priests are getting ready to go to service, part of the ceremony is that they would sprinkle the blood upon them to say that in order to serve God, the blood must be applied. In order for this uh, structure to be used of God, the blood must be applied. And you could see over and over this idea that in order for someone to be close to God, in order for someone to serve God, even the service Service to God must be dedicated with blood. That we must have the blood applied in order for us to serve God. Of course, we know that's true with us. That the Bible says we must worship God in spirit and in truth. That's from the gospel record of John chapter number 4. That when it talks about that we must serve God in spirit, that it carries the idea that you have to be saved if you're going to serve God. Lost people cannot serve God. I know that sounds foreign in our world that we have in our culture, but lost people cannot serve God because they haven't had it settled yet that they're forgiven of their sins. It's not until our sins are forgiven now that we can start to serve God. Why? Because it's an idea of motive. That if I am not saved yet, then I'm serving God in order to get something from him. But after God has paid my price and I owe God no more, I serve God because of what he's done for me rather than in order to get something from him. So in order for us to serve God with a pure conscience, our debt has to be paid. We have to have it settled. We're not serving God in order to get something from him. We're serving him because of what he's done for us. And so we could see this all throughout the New Testament, the same thing. That before we could truly serve God, the blood must be applied in order for us to serve him, in order for us to be usable by him. Notice with me in verse 21. Moreover, he sprinkled the blood, both the tabernacle and the vessels of the ministry. In verse 22, and almost all things are by the law. So according to Old Testament law, purged with blood. So as you study the Levitical law, you're going to see over and over, there's a sacrifice for this, and there's a sacrifice for this, and whatever else. All of it is picturing that there must be the shedding of blood in order 
for us to serve God, in order for it to be dedicated to God. And then it goes on, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. God says very clearly, for the wages of sin is death. For the wages of sin is death. So something must die in order to pay for our price. And God wanted to place the emphasis over and over. That's why the blood was so prevalent in the Old Testament law. God wanted to bring across, to bring it home, the idea that because of our sins, something must die. It's trying to show how awful our sin is, how serious our sin is, and that it must be taken care of. This is a big deal. And so what we see here is the blood and the Old Testament. Now as we bring it back, we could see the blood and Jesus the blood and Jesus. Let's start back in verse number 12. The book of Hebrews chapter number 9 and verse 12. Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he, Jesus, entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. What we see is that Jesus Christ purchased us. Again, that word redeemed means to buy back. It carries the idea in its full context to buy back as from a slave market. He has purchased us with his blood. And when he purchased us, he regenerated us. The word regenerated comes the idea of regened. Now today we know a little bit more about genetics. Genetics carries with the RNA and the DNA. They make up who we are. Well, when God regenerated us, what he did is he made us a new creature. Because of Jesus Christ and his sacrifice, he paid the price. The moment that I accept that free gift, the Holy Spirit, who is God, comes to live with inside of me and he makes me a new creature. I have been regenerated. Something new has been produced now as I am a new creature in Christ. Notice as it goes on, verse 13. For if the blood of bulls and of goats and of the ashes of a heifer sprinkling on the unclean sanctifieth to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. When Jesus Christ died, it was enough. Now here it talks about how he offered himself without spot. That before they would sacrifice an animal in the Old Testament, they would have to do a spot check. Meaning they weren't quickly looking, they were looking for spots. That before they would do a sacrifice, they would look on the outside. The animals given had to have no blemishes. No, it wasn't a broken bone. It wasn't cross-eyed. It wasn't all deformed. It had to be a pure specimen. But that's not all. They would have a ceremony included in that where they would cut the animal open and they had to look and make sure that it was purified in the inside, that there was no cancers, no tumors, no malformities. It had to be spotless inside and out in order for it to be a sacrifice that was acceptable. It had to be a pure sacrifice. But when Jesus Christ died for us, he was without spot himself, without spot or blemish. That means not only did he look good on the inside, he was pure and clean on the inside. 
Jesus was without spot. He had passed that test. He was without spot to God. And because he was God, robed in flesh, without spot, without error, his blood was enough not only to forgive us, but to cleanse us, to make us truly whole. I'm so glad that God just didn't forgive us and pat us on the head and let us go our merry way. He cleansed me from my sins. I am washed in the blood of the Lamb. I have made it pure, whiter as snow, though my skin sins be as scarlet. He hath made me whiter than snow. Oh, He cleansed me. He forgave me. It's His blood. It was enough of what Jesus Christ did. He took our sins away. Do you know that there are over 20 passages in the Bible that speak about what God has done with our sins once we have received salvation? Over 20 of them. It talks about that he has cast our sins in the depths of the sea. You know there are parts of the sea that we still can't get to yet? There are parts of the sea that you could take Mount Everest, which is the highest mountain on planet Earth, and you could take Mount Everest and put it in the sea, put it on the bottom, and there would still be miles of water over it. And that's where God buried my sin, where no one could get it, no one could dig it up, no one could find it. That's where my sins are at. The Bible says that he cast my sins as far as the east from the west. If you were to take a globe, you could go north, north, north. And you'll finally start finding yourself, once you get to the top, start going south. Still going the same direction. But if you take a globe and you keep going east, there's never a place where you'll start going west. You keep going east and go around and around and you're going the same direction. What we have here is that there are infinite lines. And so God says, I cast your sins as far as the east is from the west. I've sent them so they'll never meet again. I've sent them far away from you. You'll never find them. We know we've talked a bit about the picture of the scapegoat. That they would have the fit man who would take the goat and lead him out to the wilderness. And let the goat go. And they would never see it again as a representation of what God has done with our sins. Aren't you glad that he has set them aside? He has put them away? They'll never come back to haunt us. When he has forgiven you, he has forgiven you completely. So not only did he forgive us, he cleansed us. But then he took all of our sins and put them away. Oh, what a wonderful God that he is. What he has done for us. Oh, notice what a great God this is. Notice with me, if you don't mind, as we continue on. Notice verse 23. It was therefore necessary that the patterns of the things in heavens should be purified with these. So it's talking about, in the context there, that the tabernacle and the priest and the things, they were sprinkled with blood. And remember, the Bible here is calling the tabernacle and its furniture the patterns of the things in heaven. So these were not the things in heaven, they were pictures. But notice this. It was therefore necessary that the patterns of the things in heaven should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. So as a picture, it was all right to use another picture to cleanse it. So for the tabernacle, in order to dedicate it, they had to have the blood of, bull, uh, of bulls and goats. But the things that are actually in heaven, 
They could only be cleansed by one thing. The blood of Jesus Christ. By the way, that includes us. How do we get to heaven? By the blood of Jesus Christ. We had to be purified by those things. So we could be with God. We had to be washed by something better than the blood of goats and bulls. We had to be washed by Jesus in order to go there. The picture was not enough. We needed the actual real thing. Notice verse 24. For Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands. So Jesus is not dealing with temporary things, the temporal things, the things here on this earth, which are the figures of the true. So the tabernacle, they were a picture of the things that are true. The showbread, the altar, all of those things were pictures of the things that were true. But into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Again, it's trying to place an emphasis. These things were pictures. Jesus is what it was picturing. Jesus is what we need. It wasn't the tabernacle. It wasn't the blood of goats and bulls. It is Jesus that was necessary. And now he's in the presence of God. Verse 25. Nor yet that he should offer himself often. As the high priest that entered into the holy place every year with the blood of others. Every year the high priest would have to go through the same ritual again and again. But when Jesus died, it was once and it was enough. He never has to suffer through that humiliation ever again. It was enough. By the way, what was it enough for? When Jesus Christ died on the cross, it was enough To pay for every sin, for every sinner who ever lived and ever will live. Meaning that Jesus Christ's blood was enough to pay the price for every sin that ever was or ever would be committed. Now that's a lot of power, isn't it? Think about the world that we live in today. About 7 billion people. Jesus' blood was enough to pay not only the price for all seven billion, but the price for every sin committed by that seven billion. For those math wi- uh, who are not math whizzes, your brain's probably just fried and puttered out. For those who are math whizzes, your brain is still swelling up, going, This is pretty big. Now, you think about not just the people who live today, but all the people who lived in the past. Jesus' blood was enough to pay for every sinner who has ever lived and every sin of every person who ever lived. But then you add to it, those that are going to come after us. Jesus' blood was enough not only to pay for every person who ever lived, but every person in the future. And not every person who ever lived and lives in the future, but pay the price for every sin of people who ever lived, and all the sins that will be committed in the future. Jesus' blood at that one time on the cross was enough to pay every price for sin. Every single one of them. There is a lot of power in that blood to pay for the every price. To pay for it. And it was only once. Aren't you glad that it wasn't the first million and then he'd have to die again and they could pay for another million? It was enough. That one time was enough for billions of people 
billions of billions of people. And the trillions of sins that went with it. His blood was enough to pay for all of it. That is a lot. No wonder we put a lot of emphasis on the blood of Jesus Christ. It was enough that one time, that one point in time, was able to cover for all time. The sins in the past, the sins done today, and the sins that have not yet been committed have all been had the potential to be paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ. So we started off by talking about the blood in the Old Testament. Then we carried on to the blood of Jesus, the blood and Jesus. But let's bring it down to a personal application. The blood and men. The blood and men. Notice with me in verse 26. For then he... Must, or, for then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world. Meaning that if, he, if his blood wasn't enough to pay for every sin and every sinner, then what would happen is that he would have to suffer over and over and over again. And he hasn't. Aren't you glad that it was enough? Amen. For then must he have often suffered since the foundation of the world. But now, once... That's a good word. Once in the end of the world hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Notice in verse 27. And is it appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. The first coming of Jesus Christ always relates to the second coming of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is coming again. The first time he came for the purpose of dying for the price of every person. But the next time he comes, there won't be a Calvary. The next time he's coming, he's coming to be king. He's coming to rule and reign. He's not coming to die again. That has been done and over with. That has been taken care of. But because he died on the cross, we also have the... the continuation. His story is not done yet. He is coming again. So with this, we can see that there's a progression. Verse 26 talks about the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Then it comes to verse 27, which speaks about the judgment of men after death. Verse 27, as is an appointed unto men once to die. Just like Jesus Christ died once, you have an appointment with death. Every single one of us. Unless Jesus Christ comes back, there's nothing to interrupt it. You may find ways to extend your life. You may decide to go on the avocado diet and you just eat nothing but avocados. But you're not going to extend your life indefinitely. You may decide that, you know what, I'm going to work out and I'm going to ride my bike 20 miles a day and you could go ahead and do that. But let me tell you, that's only going to extend your life for a certain amount of time. You may say, well, you know what, forget that. I'm going to the cheesy grease, uh, the greasy cheeseburger diet. And guess what? You still may live a long time. But guess what? Every single one of us have an appointment with death. There's nothing you could do to avoid it. There is an appointment with death. And because you know that you have your appointment, you need to be ready for the appointment. Why? Notice what it says in verse 27. As it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. 
The judgment of man happens immediately after death. Why, why is this a big deal? Because you will not have time. You will not have an opportunity to accept Jesus Christ as your Savior after you die. You have an appointment to come and you need to hire your lawyer before going to jail. I preached at jails quite often in the last 20 years. And whenever I talk to them that you need to hire your lawyer before your court case, they seem to understand what I mean. You don't hire the lawyer after your court case. Well, that's kind of useless. You need to hire your representation before your appointment. Jesus Christ tells us there is an appointment for every man. As it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. As soon as you die, absent from the body is present with the Lord. Immediately you're going to stand before God. For us as Christians, we will immediately stand before God in what is called the judgment seat of Christ. Where we're not going to be judged for our sins, but we're going to be judged for um, what we've done in our body, both good and bad, and the consequences of it, and our motives. But for those who have not accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior, the judgment that they are going to face is called the white throne judgment. And they're going to stand before God and they're going to receive the sentence. They're already condemned already. They're already found guilty. But they're going to be sentenced for their sins. And there is a real judgment. And no one can avoid that date. That is coming. They're going to stand before God. Notice in verse 28. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. That Jesus Christ is coming. He is coming. That is a fact. And he's coming back. Why is he coming back? Well, we know that he's coming back. He's coming to reclaim, to gain all those who have trusted him as Savior. Now, this is where I want you to put your thinking caps. I know with the math that you had earlier, you're already starting to strain. But I want you to think with me. Jesus' blood was enough to pay for every sinner and for every sin that it was ever committed or ever will be committed. Jesus' blood was enough. You know what that means? That no one has to die. Anytime someone dies and goes to that awful place called hell, it is a tragedy. It is one of the worst things that could ever happen because they did not have to die. Jesus' blood was enough to pay for every person. Now, I want you to think with me. Stay with me. If Jesus' blood was valuable enough to pay every price... That means every time someone dies and goes to hell and they didn't have to be. That means that Jesus' blood did not get the full value of what it was worth. Jesus' blood was enough to pay for every person. But if someone dies, that's someone that Jesus could have taken care of, could have washed clean. He did not get full value. Of his blood. So how does that apply to us as soul winners? When we go out, we need to check our motives. 
Why do we go out? Make myself feel better because I'm supposed to? Well, our motive should always be Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ loved the world. He died for it. And it was enough to pay for every price and every sin. And we as soul winners want to see Jesus get as much value out of his sacrifice that could possibly be made. Does that make sense? Because I love him and I'm so thankful for his blood. I want everyone to get this. I want everyone to receive it because of him. I want him to get everything he deserves. Everything his blood paid for. Because one day he's coming back to gather up all of those that his blood has purchased. And let me tell you, his blood could have paid for it all. But he's not getting all. As a soul winner, because I love my Christ, because I love my Jesus, my desire is for him to get as much value out of it as possible. Does that make sense? Because I love my Jesus. When our motive is Christ, it changes everything. I want him to get full value. I want him to get everything out of it as possible. I want to go tell people because I love him. Because I love him. I want him to get everything out of it that he paid for. Have you ever been gypped out? Have you ever tried to pay for something and you didn't get full value out of your money? Well, think about the ultimate sacrifice that Jesus Christ died for every person. Don't you think it's his desire that he's not willing that any shall perish but all should come to repentance? And it's not like there was only the first one million and then you're done. It's not the idea that there's only 144,000 that could go to heaven. Everyone else is just missed out. Jesus wants everyone to come. He died for everyone to come. You know how much of a tragedy it is for one person to die and go to hell? It is a tremendous tragedy. Because Jesus paid that price. And they did not have to die. As we deal with the blood, it should motivate us because we're so thankful for him dying for us and we want him to get full value. Our response is to be pointing out to others. There is an appointment that they have. It is appointed unto men once to die and after this, the judgment. Oh, and we want them to be able to stand before Christ and be forgiven. We want them to have for our Christ to get as much out of it, his blood, that he's worth. Because it is a tragedy for a single person to die and go to that awful place called hell. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus. And I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you could give us a call at area code 920 920- 
920-530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.